Welcome to Grace in 30, live on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sal Dietry. Sal, how are you tonight? Ed, my man, I am doing great. Thank you. You know, tonight we are joined by John Sly here in the booth, pastor of Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church. But, you know, I asked myself, well, then how do they end up there if they don't go to church? But, you know, I think tonight... We're going to talk about two things here. We're going to talk about grace, and we're going to talk about community, things we need right here in D.C. right now and things we need in our nation. And I think that's some of the key things we want to get into with John. The other thing that excites me about Grace Community, quite frankly, is that, look, this isn't a huge organization. They're doing some amazing, cool things here in, in the D.C. area and in this community. And I just love their call to action, their energy, and it just shows you, you don't have to be this giant organization to make a huge impact uh, here in our area. Before we jump in with uh, John, wanted to remind people about our last week's guest, who's uh, Dr. Matthew Shank, uh, who spent a cold night on the streets back in February to get a better sense for the plight of the homeless. Um, Matt spoke about the loneliness, rejection, and yearning for human contact that he experienced. And he noted that he only experienced one act of kindness through the entire night. And son of a gun, we've got that person as a guest next week on the show. Uh, much like our first guest, Milton Brown, he urged people to at least interact with and be kind to the homeless. He said that would have meant a whole lot. He, he really yearned for that sort of contact. And he also noted how people, he said that seven people, including himself, were sleeping in the Roslyn Metro stop. And five of those people didn't have a blanket or any kind of a, a sleeping bag. And they used newspapers to cover themselves on a 25-degree night. So he urged people as sort of a call to action to reach out maybe to ASPAN, uh, which is A-SPAN, S-P-A-N.org. It's a local group in Arlington committed to ending homelessness in Arlington. And he says, you know, talk to them, try to determine what sort of critical needs the homeless have right now, and see if you can help out. Maybe you've got an old uh, sleeping bag or something, an old coat uh, in the basement. He said, grab it and take it to them and, and help out uh, these, these people, these neighbors of ours. Uh, you can find out more about his experience at our website, graceand30.com, or on our Facebook and Twitter pages at graceand30. Sal mentioned uh, we're joined today by John Sly, Senior Pastor of Grace Community Church in Arlington. I admit that I am an attendee and a lover of the church. I really enjoy hearing him speak, so I was anxious to get him on the show. And here he is today. So again, welcome, John. You're welcome. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Sal. I really appreciate you inviting me to be on the show today, and I'm glad to be here. That's great. Like, tell us a little bit about Grace Community, how you guys got started. I, I learned you know, you've know you lived in Arlington almost your whole life. I mean, tell us a little bit about how Grace Community got kicked off. Yeah, I have lived here in Arlington since I was born my entire life. Uh, we meet at Thomas Jefferson Middle School. I went to Thomas Jefferson Middle School. So that was uh, interesting to have church at a place where I actually went to, to middle school. Uh, the church started uh, on Christmas Eve of the year 2000, and it started right up the street from here, hmm. uh, Liberty Tavern Restaurant. Before it was Liberty Tavern, it was a Mason's Lodge, and the Masons allowed us to meet in their fellowship hall for free. So that was the special price, free. And that's where we began. Gosh, I, you know, I've been in the Arlington area since the 90s, and, and you're taking me back to how much this place has changed. Um, how did you come up with this concept you know, of a church for people who don't go to church. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, it's an interesting story, actually. I, it wasn't like I just uh, sat around and finally 
figured out that concept. I, I had felt when Grace started, Grace started, we were very small, about 18 adults. And uh, we moved from where the Liberty Tavern location is now to Key Elementary School. And I just had a sense uh, for quite some time that there was some niche that Grace was supposed to fulfill, but I had no idea what it was. And so I was just praying and thinking and meditating and wondering what that was for about 18 months. And I had to take a trip to California. And on my way back from California, it is a daytime flight. And I'm in a big DC-10 where they have the five seats in the middle, and it's this huge section. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was nobody in my section. I got halfway back, and I stuck my head up over the seats. I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's nobody here. The flight attendants turned the lights out. I'm the only one there. It was weird. And in the midst of that moment that was just so kind of isolated and gloomy, at 35,000 feet, I said, you know, God, what in the world do you want this church to be? Boom, just like that. I felt it after 18 months. I want you to be a church for people who don't go to church. So that's really where it came from. I didn't just dream it up. I mean, maybe you could say maybe I prayed it up, but that's where it came from to be a church. I didn't really know what that meant. I'd never heard of anything like that before. I've been in church all my life. And uh, we came back and we just began to put it on um, website, different materials, and people started showing up and they said, you know the reason I'm here? I don't go to church. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you know, tell us a bit about you know the the you know is this about giving people space and and sort of time to come to know Jesus? I mean, is that or or to come to know themselves? I mean, what what, what when someone shows up there, what are they typically looking for at Grace Community yeah. in general? There's a lot of words we could put to it, and that is giving people space, no matter where people are in their journey. We could say all of those things, but basically, Grace is a place for people. We tend as human beings to gravitate. It's not bad, but we just do as human beings. We gravitate towards uniformity. We gravitate toward people who look like like us, think like us, act like us, believe like us. Um, but that's not necessarily something that's going to help us thrive, even thriving spiritually. Mm. And so we desire to be a place. Actually, Jesus was Right? He originated this. He was the original church for people who don't go to church guy because he was right. always crossing those lines everywhere, yep. right? And so uh, we're just a place where people feel very welcome to be no matter where they are with their belief or in their journey on and on. Just, yeah, creates a safe place for people. And, and in some cases, people either haven't been to church or maybe they've been to church and they've been hurt in some way or burned and, and they're hesitant to come back, Correct. Correct. We recently had to do a survey of our church for a couple of different reasons. We need to capture data. Forty percent of our church self-classifies as a non-churchgoer. Uh, I think the numbers were somewhere around 15 percent of those had never, ever been in a church in their life. And the other portion of those had not been to church in over a decade. And for some of them, they just got busy with life. And for others, they had been hurt by church. Uh, my own life, when Grace Community Church started, um, I, I didn't want to be a minister anymore. Um, so I had, uh, I had left one church, and I said, you know, this is it. I'm never going to do this again. And so I'm headed in a different direction because I had been hurt by church. So I understood that very, very well. And I took three weeks to pray about it. And the end of three weeks, I just had this gentle whisper, I guess is the best way I could say it, like an impression that to try it again. So very reluctantly is how Grace Community Church began. So I can understand and identify full well with people who have been hurt or wounded by church. Hmm. So what are some of the tenets there? You know, compassion, you know, sort of the three C's, I guess, if you were to say. What, what, do, you, what do you sort of think about are the three core tenets of, of your 
uh, mission there, sort of Christ, community, compassion, things of that nature. So it's very easy for any organization over a period of time to become quite complex and to grow, 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 and you kind of lose your focus of what you're to be. So what we focus on is those three things, and and we anchor it. We I, What I like to say is there's three nails, and that's all we do is drive those three nails all the time. Christ, community, compassion. So Christ is the simple yet powerful story of Christ. Your show is called Grace in 30. I think grace is the most powerful force in the universe. Amen. And right. you, 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 you look at the greatest stories that we have. Uh, you know, whether it's Tale of Two Cities or even true stories like the Air Florida Flight 90 that wrecked in the Potomac River when I was a kid here, and the person who jumped in to save somebody else were moved deeply by what we call theologically substitutionary atonement. It's where somebody is willing to sacrifice their life for somebody else. That is the story of Jesus Christ. You know, I read something by a church historian one time. I thought it was fascinating. He said, Christianity is the only religion in the world where the central act of its faith is the humiliation of of its God. And so God comes down, substitutes himself for us, and that's the simple story of Jesus Christ. He's not a blame giver, he's a blame taker. So we focus Mm -hmm. on that story and you find it all the way through the Bible from Genesis to the book of Revelation. The second thing we focus on is community, and that is building relationships. The Bible is filled with incredible biblical relationship building practices. Many people are very familiar with a recent TED Talk by Robert Waldinger, a professor at Harvard. The single greatest determining factor in your happiness is the quality of your relationships. If you want to figure out uh, how you're going to be 30 years from now, how healthy you're going to be, don't look at your cholesterol level. Waldinger says, look at the quality of relationships. That is the single greatest predictor of your happiness in the future 30 years from now. I'm going to say that to my doctor at my next physical. I've got one coming up here. I've been on a diet. I'm just, I'm just going to lay it out for you in the No nurse. more Lipitor. Yeah, amen. <laughs> so we focus on community. We focus on building relationships, whether that's friendships, workplace, marriage, whatever, romantic stuff. Uh, almost half of our church is single. So um, we do that. And then lastly, compassion. Compassion is all about service. So we serve in the community. We do a bunch of stuff in the community. One of our biggest, our, our biggest event every year is when we package 100,000 meals at the Thomas Jefferson Gymnasium, which is an awesome gymnasium. I mean, it's like the size of an aircraft hangar. Yep. And so we use that. But we, we do other stuff locally with uh, Arlington Food Assistance Center. And then also internationally, we do a bunch of stuff. And those three areas are, are what we're totally committed to. Yeah, I keep seeing your group, your, your name popping up everywhere with um – a DC Little Lights and other organizations where you're involved, Thrive and other things. Uh, I got to tell you, it's it's impressive just the tenacity, the energy of this group at Grace Community uh, and the things they're doing in this community. And it just comes back if you're listening and you're sitting there on the couch and you're thinking, how could I get involved? And you don't have to be some gigantic corporation to want to do this. You can get off the couch, even if you fall back in your seat once or twice, keep getting up and, and come out to Grace Community, come out to some of the events they're involved in, and just, just participate. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find something you love and get hooked on it. So I have to ask, uh, to, to give our listeners a definition of grace. You want me to give you a definition of grace? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, Mr. Webster, please. <laughs> yeah, well. Because uh, I know it's both simple and complex, right? Yeah, the, yeah, it is complex. Simple and complex is a good way to put it, Ed. Um, 
theologically, you would say it's unmerited favor, right? That's the old classic standby. Uh, it's 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 where somebody. Well, I said a few minutes ago that grace is all about Jesus Christ is all about being a blame taker, mm-hmm. not a blame giver, and that he he has a perfect record, a flawless record, and he takes. He takes our record on, which is a broken, a broken and a flawed record, and that's that's grace. He didn't have to do it, but he did it because he loves us. He loves us so much that he took our place. Yeah, and I have to, you know, I've had some debates with some people about this when we yeah. were coming up with a show and how we were going to name it. Some people even said, "Don't use that word in the title," uh-huh. because some people that feel strongly about this point to the fact that grace is something very supernatural. It, it, it contains salvation, mm-hmm. and it's something that makes you strong when you're weak, and those things are all true, but there's also a common grace that's out there that extends everywhere. And and I, I love to add the term unwavering to this, because I, I personally went through an experience in, in a divorce where I, I decided to extend grace to uh, my wife who left. And and you know it's like the movie Fireproof. Yeah, you know, that he did some good things and got good reactions and good things and got bad reactions, but mm-hmm. he just kept going. And there's incredible power in that. So it's not only just unmerited and unwavering, I mean, un, 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 unearned, but also unwavering. So, yeah. yeah, and Ed, you got me reading this book by Philip Yancey this summer. You know, I'm sitting at the pool reading through this about about grace and and you know the stories he talks about in that. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you kind of got me hooked on Yancey's book. Is there anything for you that kind of pulls out of that? Well, I, I, I like the word itself. I like how he calls it the last best word. And, and the book's a little bit old, maybe 15 years or so old, but, but a lot of words have just been kind of sullied. Uh, words like charity, which really means love, but now when you use the term charity, it's, it's as if you're giving someone a handout. It's, it's, it's not the purity of love involved in that. But grace, when we say someone is graceful or gracious, there's so many different forms of the word grace. We, we know what they're talking about. It's kind of like when you see someone acting with grace, you know it. You know it when you see it. So I think that's the profound thing. And the other thing that Philip Yancey I think is remarkable is that he, he notes that grace is shocking and scandalous. I mean, if you think of Jesus Christ, that he actually created everything, and he came to this earth, and he died for us while we were beating him and spitting on him and killing him, and he hanged on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That's radical. And, and when Azim Kamisa, our guest, forgave his son's murderer, that, mm-hmm. was, that was radical. When I decided, and, and my wife and I, I call her my wife now, we've been separated eight plus years, uh, we, we, we just still serve and love one another and care for one another, and that's very, very rare. And when people come across me and I tell them that story, it's, it's breathtaking to them. Uh, and, and I tell everyone, it's right there. All you have to do is pick some person who is, is the most toxic person in your life, and if you just start laying down your life for them and serving them without any requirements, any expectations, and you're unwavering that, you'll see amazing things happen. That's right. And I go back to our first guest, Milton Brown, who said, you know, the homeless will often, when we walk by them, will say things like, well, God bless you, or mm-hmm. how are you, and we just blow right by them. Mm-hmm. And yet that simple hello back might be all that's holding that person together, and yet we don't even acknowledge people. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, it can be scandalous, it can be intense, but it can just be these simple things that are part of our day, simple encounters with people that are uh, that are simply grace. So, John, I don't want to I don't want to over talk here because yeah. you're here, our guest. Oh, that's right, we have a guest. <laughs> yeah, I'm blabbing too much. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you. You know, I've heard some great sermons from you, in particular about forgiveness, and, and this topic just keeps coming up over and over in my life in the last several days. And I just want to know what you think about how 
the gospel of grace and forgiveness can help our country right now. Mm. Um, forgiveness is is difficult. It's a, it's a challenge. I mean, it's easy for you to look at somebody else and say, yeah, you just need to forgive. But uh, it's a very painful thing. And you think about just talk about theology and then we'll talk about what's happening in our nation. You know, many people will say, I've heard people say this, I've read people say this, you know, I don't need a God who, who dies for me. I don't need Jesus dying on the cross. He can just he can just forgive me. Why can't he just forgive me? Well, you know what? Forgiveness always hurts. Yeah. So when somebody's done me wrong, in order for me to forgive them, it is painful. And the greater the wrong, the greater the pain. Forgiveness always costs something. And so when you come to what's happening in our world or in our nation, uh, it's going to be very difficult. And you, you read about people who do this. I mean, you just talked a few moments ago about the guest that you had who extended forgiveness. That's a very painful thing to do. But somebody has to step up and begin that. And a lot, actually, a lot of somebodies will have to do that. But that cost is going to be really high. So I don't say that flippantly. It's going to really hurt. But when people do that, it is powerful and uh, changes the world. Yep. Um, so I, you do a lot of mapping of popular culture into mm -hmm. your messages. Mm -hmm. And, you, you, and you're, you're very data-driven. You, mm -hmm. you, you study, you know, real-world studies and Harvard studies and all, and you try to map that into the scriptures. Um, I, I, I think about, do you have any, any particular stories you'd like to share, things that have kind of been resonating on your heart lately or, you know, sort of? You mean uh, about just in general? Yes. Just, oh, um, well, you know, I'm, I've been taking the summer to study the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it is a fascinating book, and many believe that uh, it's the only book in the Bible that's written by somebody who is an agnostic and or an atheist. And here God, you know, gives us their thoughts, their unfiltered thoughts. And it, it, it's really deep philosophy. Uh, because in the book, you know, it starts off with vanity of vanities. In other words, everything is meaningless. And so what what the writer is driving us to, either everything is meaningless, and he keeps saying under the sun, everything under the sun. So in other words, if there's nothing above the sun, if God's not there, then truly, and the greatest philosophers in history will agree with that statement. If there's nothing above the sun, then everything truly is meaningless. But uh, then the writing comes back all the way at the end to, to talk about the fact that because there is a God there, everything has great meaning. That connects us to what happens in the Gospel of John because it, the John starts off with this concept about logos. And the logos right. in Greek philosophy, the Greek philosophers actually around the time of Christ had become worn out with the idea of trying to find is there any meaning. We're all going to die, which Ecclesiastes talks about this. You know what? Um, it, it's better. The, the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. And says because, you know what? Everybody's going to die. So what meaning is there? And so what is said in the Gospel of John talking about Jesus right at the very beginning is that um, – Jesus is the Logos. And what is Logos? The concept of a Logos in Greek philosophy is this is something that gives meaning to everything. If you can figure out the Logos of something, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, likes to talk about it this way, the Logos. is you know what? If you went over to a friend's house and they were using a coffee pot to be a doorstop, you would say, you know what? That's not, that's not that coffee pot's doorstop. You know, that's not the Logos of that 
coffee pot. It's meant to make coffee. And so we have a meaning and purpose behind us. I'll say one last thing. There's a, there's a piece by Cynthia Heimel in The Village Voice. She wrote it a few years ago about the um, – she says uh, she pities celebrities. And she talks about three different celebrities who made it big. And this is where Ecclesiastes gets fascinating. She says she knew Barbara Streisand, Sylvester Stallone, and Bruce Willis before they became famous. Mm-hmm. And she said the day they became famous, they became absolutely miserable people because they realized even though they got everything they desired – they were still themselves, and it did not satisfy them, which is exactly what Ecclesiastes is saying, and it's what all the data drives us to. It's showing us this. It's showing us that money, it's showing us that career, that we're putting too much pressure on those things, thinking they can bring us ultimate satisfaction. We're ending up empty, and here we sit in a country that is the richest nation on the face of the earth that's ever existed, and yet our discontentment is going off the charts. Uh, that's that's right. I mean, you feel that that is just in the air everywhere in this country, and yet, you know, whether people feel that their generation's been left behind, maybe you're in the Rust Belt, and you feel, geez, you know, I, we no one's come to our aid here for 20 years now, and you know, we're living in poverty. And you know, I often will, Ed and I will say, you know, if someone just go down the street as a simple act and visit with an elderly person that no one talks to, yeah. there's so many ways to bring quality into your life and to make yourself feel good and to add value and yet we just seem to be ignoring that today in our culture for so many silly reasons. And, and the other thing you mentioned we're the wealthiest country on earth we're also the biggest debtor I'm, the eyes of a man are never satisfied yes. we're, we're just borrowing and borrowing and the estimates, you know, the government tells you you're 14 trillion in debt, you're 140 trillion in debt yes. <laughs> Have you all read much on minimalism? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, it's a new huge movement, minimalism, because people are realizing, you know what? All this stuff. Tiny houses. Yes, sapping my energy, all <laughs> this consumerism. And so people are getting rid of stuff and they're getting clarity about their purpose. Yep. Well, I think we've seen, you know, a generation come through this housing crash. Yep. Right? Where people have lost yeah. a lot. And, and, uh, you know, I think the millennials are looking up in this and saying, I, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe we are seeing a change in some of this. I do want to make sure we, we focus on a couple questions yeah. that I have prepared about about what Christianity is known for today yeah. and what you'd like to see it known for. What, yeah. What's, you know, when people hear Christian, there's typically not a good reaction, <laughs> unfortunately. What, 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 do you, what do you see in that area? What, what, what are Christians known for? You, you did a sermon and you pulled statistics out of a book called Unchristian that were very interesting. Yeah. So I think uh, in some um, some ways that Christianity is not looked favorably upon because of things that actually Christians have done. In some ways, it's it's not merited that it's been looked down upon because Christianity has done a lot of wonderful things. So there's a kind of a give and take there. But when you look at the statistics, uh, what people, when they think of the Christian church, they see it as judgmental. Uh, they see it as a place of condemnation, which is, which is quite ironic, to, to be honest with you, because think about this, right? Jesus Christ is the blame taker, mm-hmm. not the blame giver. That's what he's all about. Uh, they look at it as a place of rules, uh, whereas Christianity, a- at its essence, isn't about rules. It's about trusting Jesus Christ obeyed the rules. Actually, to receive Christ as Savior, to be a follower of Christ, means that you say to Jesus, you know all these rules, Jesus? I can't, I can't do them. I'm I'm a I'm a failure at them, so I'm trusting in you that you did them all. You're my salvation, not myself. So it's ironic then, right? Has it gotten so spun around? 
that we look at as place of judgment. Also, it, particularly for millennials, uh, when you ask them what is the Christian church, they say, well, that's the place that's against homosexuality. Mm. I used to get phone calls early in my ministry all the time, and people say, hey, tell me what you think about Jesus in the Bible. Nobody calls anymore asking about Jesus in the Bible. They want one question, and that one question is this, tell me what you think about homosexuality. That is the only call I get, and I think that is a shame because I think in some ways the Christian church has allowed the main issue of the day to be the topic of homosexuality and not Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ did so much for us, and yet we're focused so much on this. We need to be focused on the life of Jesus Christ, the story of Christ, and what it means to be a follower of his. Jesus Christ is the greatest leader that ever walked this earth. There's two billion people who are his followers. He affected this planet more than anybody else. That's not a Christian bias. That's just a fact that everybody will admit to let's talk about him amen because that that is in christianity that's the answer not the debate about homosexuality and and i think sadly believers have allowed that to happen yes. some of them through their behavior yeah. um so so it, it's 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 funny too I, I come across folks who talk about the sort of a conspiracy and putting together the bibles and, and what books were chosen what weren't and i always say what is this terrible conspiracy message inside the Bible? What's the greatest commandment? Yes. To love your neighbor. Yes. And, and Jesus says, love your enemies. Yes. Do good to them. Loan to them. Uh, you're to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Mm -hmm. That's an amazingly cool message. It's not ter some terrible conspiracy. Our hearts are so filled with pride that we look uh, to blame other people. You take, for instance, um, after September 11th. After September 11th, people said, oh, our nation is suffering this because people are sinning so much, right? Okay. The Bible speaks directly to that issue. Ecclesiastes says, I see the righteous suffering and the wicked thriving. Job, in the book of Job, was a righteous man, even by God's account, and yet he suffers greatly. And so what people want to do out of their own pride is, oh, we're suffering. Well, that's because these people over there are so wicked. And of course, I'm so righteous, right? So I think that's a lot of pride in our own heart and also a grave misunderstanding of the Bible and a grave misunderstanding of who Jesus Christ is. I'll say one other thing. There's a lot of talk about uh, not being radical today not about, about being moderate. We need, we need to be moderate. So you don't want to be radical for Jesus. You know, what our world actually needs is people to be radically into Jesus Christ. And you know what happened in, uh, in history? This is just history, Rome. Rome had set its sights against Christianity, persecuted, took people's homes away, took people's money away, threw them to the lions. And you know what Christians did? They understood Jesus so much. You know what they did? They were radically forgiving. They were radically kind. They were radically patient. And when Rome was hit with plagues and everybody left, the Christians came in and they cared and they loved, in many cases, for the very people who took their homes and took their money and abused them. They were so radically into Jesus Christ that today, what is Rome? That's right. Yeah, amen. That's right. And, and you know, you talk about people getting involved. I mean, even... You know, even Pope Francis has said to young people, go into your congregations and, and make a mess, right? Mm. Get get involved, get radical, make changes. It's not going to happen the other way. 
It's almost like you answered the the last question. We were going to you know issue sort of a call to action. We have our guests yeah. issue, and we have and, no pop question and, now. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and sort of how do Christians change the conversation? I don't yeah. know if you want to add some more to that. I mean, sort of you're, you seem to be saying modeling the behavior of Christ, or, or maybe take a step back and just um, a call to action for Christians and non Christians, hmm. right? I mean, because there were, you know th- this whole community issue, I come back to the grace community, it has just become completely fractured in this country mm-hmm. at the micro level, at the national level. How, uh, any thoughts around that and sort of a call to action? In about a minute and a half. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, what hits me right now is hope. That's what's really on my heart. We need a season of hope, and that's what we're getting ready to enter, in, enter into at Grace Community Church. We're going to focus on the next nine months, a season of hope. We need some hope, and that's that comes from, scripturally speaking, from a relationship with with Jesus Christ, understanding who he is and what he did and how he extended grace and how he extended forgiveness and how he was patient. And so it's a call to action to model that in your own life, even if you're not a believer. And that's where at Grace we have so many people that they're not believers, they're not bought into that. That's fine. But we can all appreciate the power of forgiveness and grace and kindness. We can all appreciate the power of building healthy relationships and the power of serving other people. Uh, you know, Newsweek magazine did a piece just uh, about a year and a half ago about people are coming back uh, from the war. And you can imagine how wounded a person is who has been in war and has seen combat. My goodness. And the depression and hurt, well, they bring them back. And what do they do? They get them serving other people and how that serves as a powerful healing agent in their own life. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Look, uh, John, uh, thanks, Root Man. You knocked it out of the park. Love what you said today. I got to pop in at Grace Community. Ed's been trying to drag me over there now (laughs) for six months. I'm going to get tap out and and the crew and come over there. Um, Look, if you want to find out more about Grace Community Church, check them out at trygrace.org. Check them out on Twitter. We'll be posting this information on Facebook and Twitter at Grace in 30. Um, A recording of this show will be found on WERA's website 24 hours after the show. Uh, next week we have uh, Pastor Sarah McQueen from Central United Methodist Church in Boston, where they are uh, going under a, a transformation of themselves, uh, bringing affordable housing to a site that's been there since the early 1900s to become a vibrant, remain a vibrant part of this community. John, thanks again. We got to have you back. Maybe do like an hour or two interview in the booth. Uh, this is Ed and Sal signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.